the most recent email wrote was about Vincent Van Gogh and the Starry Night. Everybody knows that painting, right? But then I wrote about how it was like the invention of the camera in the 1830s that led to impressionism, led to Claude Monet, and the idea that now that the camera is invented, people don't actually have to paint what they see in the world objectively anymore because that job's been done by the camera. So what actually you can do now is as a painter, you're free to paint subjectively because you can't beat the camera on the objective front. So now you got to find another vector to win on. So like find something that has awareness in the world that already has an established meme. Everybody knows the story and it's the third most visited painting in the world. But then find this kind of technology angle that I stumbled upon it. I stumbled upon it in a art history subreddit. And I'm like, this is incredible. So like there's, there's layers. Yeah. It's like layer one has already passed the minimum viable virality. And then layer two, what can you layer on top of it? Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. You want me to intro you, man? Yo, let, let's keep all this. Yeah, you can call me Trung, dude. I got a funny story about that. In Vietnam, the way you pronounce it is Chung. And I didn't realize that until I moved to Vietnam when I was 23. So I lived 23 years with the white pronunciation of my own name. So you can, you can introduce me as Trung, Kip. I think I just introduced myself. <laughs> you did just introduce yourself, which is the best of the show. I, I, I just was trying to see if you wanted actually like a credit around like what you're up to. Former the club, colleague that kind of, of Kieran Flanagan at HubSpot <laughs> and Kip also. Uh, listen, I, I'll do a light shell. I got a AI-powered research app, barely.ai, pun intended. And most people here probably know me from Trunk T Fan at Twitter. I mean, you'll find every everything else there. We don't need right. to talk anymore in my bio. I got you. Internet guy. Internet guy. Does that count? Internet guy. <laughs> yeah. Internet guy. All right. I'm going to do an intro. We're going to leave all this in, but I'm actually going to do an intro now. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do it. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain. I'm your co-host, Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot, joined, as always, by Kieran Flanagan, the CMO over at Zapier. And we are joined by a friend, former colleague, Trung T-Fan of Twitter fame, but also just all-around internet comedian, poster, and you got a new AI app, barely.ai, which is a hilarious domain. We're going to talk all about creating an AI today on the show. It's going to be hilarious because Trung's here. Kieran and I aren't funny, but he makes us funny. So let's go. Welcome, he is pretty Trung. funny. Pre-chatter. Listen, listeners. I just, said, I just said listen, listeners. But pre-recording, these guys were dropping jokes. And special shout out to the super producer, Darren, who I've spoken to in the past. And Darren, you're, I know you're listening and looking at me. Yeah, he's got jokes <laughs> with an English accent, which makes producer Darren even doper than Make the rest of us. Well, actually, I, I'm sure you guys have joked about this, but Kieran is just... Having accents is just funny, like like just table stakes, right? I, know. I don't know. I didn't mean that in like a negative way, but like... <laughs> no, no. I take it everything in a positive people way. People told me I have a Canadian accent. I say A a lot, so people always... A. Yeah. People always say okay. that. All right. We, we got to get right into it. So, Trug, you went from writing for The Hustle, being an internet poster, to basically being one of the most popular people on Twitter, building a whole career around creating content online. Like... 
How's it going? How'd that all happen? Like, give people a little bit of background before we go and talk all the creator and marketing fun that we're about to get into. You know the Steve Jobs quote, you can only connect the dots like looking backwards. Yeah, Listen, exactly. I, I know your listeners are quite sophisticated business people. So I'll give them that. I'll just throw them that catnip <laughs> so they can enjoy this the rest of this story. But the TLDR is, you know, I went to school in McGill pre-med and then within a month of realizing that I didn't want to wake up at 8 a.m. for calculus, I'm like, I, I need to reschedule my schedule. So everything's after 12 o'clock. So I literally just chose a major based on what was available after 12. And it was like history <laughs> and sociology. And I, I, the thing is, I do love history. So I'm like, this is convenient. <laughs> but right after I moved to Vietnam, zero plan. Typically, people with zero professional skills like me at that time, what you do in Vietnam, if you're from the West, is you teach English. But I couldn't even teach English because local Vietnamese people don't want another Vietnamese person teaching them English. They want a <laughs> guest to say it. They want a white guy to do it. White guy or white gal. So I couldn't even get a job like with what every Westerner person. It was like, it was a pretty large slice of humble yes. pie, which is fine. You know, life goes on. But anyways, two things happened in Vietnam that have conveniently kind of coalesced into what you mentioned. I'm online. I do post a lot. A lot of it is around business and technology. And as you know, running a hub marketing from Zapier or previously HubSpot and now you see more HubSpot is the LTV for business is very high, right? Versus like a general audience. <laughs> Much better, so yes. like that's a good thing that like I could have been posting and like even sports isn't as lucrative, right? Like no, the, the LTV. No. So it was it was a good Venn diagram of my interest, which from Vietnam, I did two things, which kind of the Venn diagram is like, I wrote a comedy script, which I sold to Fox. And I thought I was going to be a comedy screenwriter. Never ended up happening. That's another story about the TLDR of that story is most scripts that get optioned never get made. So I was just statistically unlikely to have that movie made. And then in Vietnam, when I realized I couldn't even teach English, I'm like, okay, I need some like real quote unquote skills. So I, I took my CFA in Vietnam, ended up getting into asset management, learning about business. And then afterwards, came back to North America, as I was explaining to Kip pre-show, I lived in Boston at a, a fintech startup called Kensho, required in 2018 by S&P Global. And, uh, and then from there, I ended up at the hustle because an investor of the hustle was one of my colleagues at Kensho. So kind of like, you know, like weird life things happen and uh, spent two years at the hustle where I really got the ability to combine posting comedy and business. And the reason my friend from Kensho even kind of referenced me with the hustle, specifically Sam, Sam Parr, co-founder of the hustle was he knew that I had interest in both worlds. And he's like, oh, he connected the dot for me. He's like, this is actually a great <laughs> match for you. And then, yeah, so that's how I ended up kind of where I am. I think one of the things that Kip and I have talked a lot about, and I think you were one of the people who actually brought this to the forefront is in olden times, maybe that's only a couple of years, like previously or five years previously, it would be hard to imagine like business or finance being a place which you can entertain, like you can bring pop culture. Like the thing that you do is you bring internet culture into business, right? And like a lot of people have copied your style. Actually, you can see it across like Twitter. You can see it in a lot of different places. But like, did you start out thinking, I'm going to be in business and I'm going to bring entertainment and make this like less stuffy than it is and try to bring some of those jokes, bring some of that comedy? Or is that just what you like to do and it kind of worked and you didn't really actually think too, too much? I did have an influence. You guys will know in Boston area, Bill Simmons, right? I was a huge Bill Simmons yeah. fan. He's considered the trailblazer for similar to what Kieran says. Like, yeah, sports, Podfather Bill. Let's yeah, go. Podfather Bill, like sports reporting. So Bill's been on a couple of podcasts recently. He was on the How I Built It with Guy Raz and he was talking about, you know, in the early 2000s, sports reporting was like quite mechanical. I mean, there are superstar sports writers, but they never wrote in the tone of Bill Simmons, which is like, I'm a fan of Boston teams. I'm extremely biased. You're, the bias is going to come through. And to your point, Kieran, he intentionally weaved in pop culture. And he did it very smartly. He's like, okay, if I want to get to the biggest audience possible, 
Like, I'm just going to draft on what is already popular culturally, which is like The Sopranos, right? Everybody talks about Sopranos. So I'm going to write basketball recaps using Sopranos codes. And very genius. It looks obvious in hindsight, but people weren't doing it. And then specifically in business and finance, I mean, I think the, the greatest business writer is Matt Levine from Bloomberg. And he's not so much into pop culture, but he writes in a very comedic voice. But I mean, he's like Harvard. He has a sim pedigree as a lot of writers for SNL and The Simpsons. He went to Harvard undergrad, Yale Law School, and worked in a big corp, worked at Goldman. So he also has this like connection of crazy cultural references and kind of comedic type of background, and but then also did the hard skills for going into business. So yeah, I don't think it was a, a new formula. I think the difference with me and a lot of other popular online like on Twitter meme accounts is I show my face. So <laughs> yeah. a lot of them are pseudonymous, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, you know, it works both ways. The one way is that they can write about a lot more things than I can. It's like, there are some third really things that I don't really want to touch. Not because I'm like scared of controversy. It's like, I hate getting sucked into these like like Twitter beefs and cycles because they actually do just drain you mentally. And yeah. like the, something that I tell people a lot about Twitter is you'll almost never see me fight on Twitter. And if you do, it's very rare. It's like, I don't mind getting into fights. I argue a lot in person and like, I'm not saying it's good or bad things. Like on Twitter, if somebody writes something that I dislike, like I'll dunk on them and I'll just sit on my phone waiting for them to reply so I can just finish the job <laughs> and then they never reply. So I'm just, I'm on my phone for like 90 minutes, right? And I'm like, like that's 90 minutes is gone. Like I, I got a kid now. Like I can't just be throwing away 90 minutes of my day waiting to like dunk on somebody. No. <laughs> I, I think people that spend all their time fighting on Twitter are deeply insecure and just like right. need to get a life. It's like, why do you care that much about what anybody thinks of you? Maybe on the other end of the spectrum where I just give zero f- about what anybody thinks. But okay, one other thing I want to talk about because anybody who knows you knows your content, they probably have a question where they're like, how the hell does he find all this stuff that he talks about, right? And like one of the things that Kieran, I want to, I want to give you both some props. Kieran early on in the acquisition of The Hustle was like, ah. Oh, you know what I've learned in this is that research is like everything. And man, if you can have the right research and have the right base material, you can make really amazing content. And I look at you, Trung, and I'm like, man, Trung is like, has to be one of the best researchers or at least have this like methodology for finding this shit. Like, yeah. what is it? Like, h- how do you do it? To, to be clear, like as a researcher, I'm not like an equity analyst level researcher where like I'll pull up the spreadsheets. I think a better thing you mentioned was like, how do you kind of find the content? I have... What yeah. I would say is I have really good information flow, which is just like personalized. I mean, nothing I say is going to be new to your listeners or I think even to you guys is like, you know, I'm sure you all are subscribed to 15 newsletters. I'm sure you all have your RSS feeds and I'm sure you all have all the main financial you have media apps. tuned. Yeah, I, I'm extremely tuned. Like you yeah, can have a right. lot of information and never see anything in it, right? I know a lot of people right. who subscribe to a bunch of stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I just subscribe to it and kind of glance over it. Like you got to spend a lot of time and, and have that tuned in, right? You nailed it. Specifically about the tune in, what makes it important is I don't waste a lot of time. It's like, I'll wake up and I'll go, you know, I'll read my 15 must-read newsletters. I'll go through all the main financial media apps, which I'm sure you have too, like, you know, yeah. NYT, WSJ, Financial Times, The Economist, and I'll just read through all those. And then, you know, then Cora, Reddit, Imgur, I have a sick funnel. You're right. It's just like, I just kind of go through these things and like... Nobody does that. That's so methodical is the point yeah, I'm trying very, to make. So like, I'll give you an example of if somebody wants to try this is like set up, you know, really set up like the Reddit feed. There's millions of subreddits. Just find the ones that are relevant to your industry and get into them. And 
literally just reading a single thread, like a single thread on one topic for any industry, just the replies themselves will give you 10 pieces of content, right? Like just the individual replies and like the new rabbit holes that they send you down. And the way I do this though, is like, I know you're not supposed to double task and it takes your mind off, but I really go into a gathering of idea mode. And the way I make myself feel good about it, like it's not quote unquote wasting time. is that I'll just listen to podcasts, right? It's like, yeah. or, or audiobooks. Like I have Robert Caro's series about uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. I'm like, every time I'm about to go into the mode of like getting information from Reddit, Quora, Imgur, and all these like non-Twitter accounts, it's like I'm throwing on Robert Caro and I'm going to just be in the zone for 30 minutes and I'm screenshotting, 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 dumping them all into a Word doc. Nothing, nothing fancy, just in a Word doc. And I mean, I'll post 30 pieces of content or rabbit holes I want to go down. That's honestly, that's a month of Twitter content because I don't post that much. No, right. Like, I probably post two, three times a day. But I mean, people say, I do try to make them bangers. Like I know what's going to hit on the internet. <laughs> that's actually the point. <laughs> He's like, I just make the hits. But isn't that the point? Like this is where I was going to go. I actually think it's not. So well, the thing I noticed when I really got to start to spend time with you all and like a, a real media brand, like a, a company that had been operating and like, how do we be really entertained and get a ton of eyeballs? It's not just the research, it's editorial taste. That's kind of what we yeah. talked about before, Kip, is like, yeah. how do you know from all of the things that you are researching, what is the thing, right? You actually had a, I'm going to butcher a bunch of your popular threads, but you had a credible thread about an entrepreneur, I think it was in India or someone that had a really great sauce, like this kind of hot sauce. You actually had the evolution of this painting or a logo, right? There's some of your things that you do where you kind of deep dive on something where you'd be like, I never thought that would be an interesting topic to read about, right? But then there's this editorial taste mm -hmm. that you have where you can like figure out the thing that will create like a banger, as you call it. And I don't know how you teach that. Like, can right. you teach that? Or is that just a thing you have? <laughs> That's a great uh, there, no, I, you know, that is a great question. And what I will say is that there, there's kind of like a heuristic that people can use. And it's not saying to steal content. It's like, there is something happening in the world right now that will surface the best content. It's literally the algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So let's say I'm doing my whole thing. I see an interesting answer in Quora. And it talks about, I don't know, the MacBook or the first Mac, the iMac when Steve Jobs came back in 97. It talks about iMac. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I'll explore this. The first thing I'll do is I should go to YouTube because mm. I think their algorithm has one of the best sorting for mm. viral content. And then you, you get to read those comments. And, and I'm not just to, not to say that, oh, virality means, oh, you should use it. But it's at least reached one point of evolution where you know this content has been interesting enough to millions and millions of people, right? So like, I'll just write something like iMac, Steve Jobs. It'll pop up like, oh, what do you know? Steve Jobs talk about the iMac at this random conference in 1998 has 10 million views. I'm like, okay, clearly something's going on here, right? So like there is this quantitative aspect and I'm, I mean, you guys are both CMOs. I know how important that is to you. So there isn't just a gut thing. It's like these things, memes and ideas, they are being sorted in real time and things are rising to the top, not to say the best, different from quality, because quantity does not necessarily just mean quality, but at a minimum, that's one variable that I've, I've jumped. I'm like, right. this is interesting. Now, yeah. can I add humor? Can I add, you know, another interesting fact that I've, I've come upon in all my searching and my research to really boost this thing to the next level? Like, so the, the most recent email wrote was about Vincent Van Gogh and the Starry Night. Everybody knows that painting, Right. But then I wrote about how it was like the invention of the camera in the 1830s that led one thing after another, led to Impressionism, led to Claude Monet, and the idea that now that the camera is invented, people don't actually have to paint what they see in the world objectively anymore because that job's been done by the camera. 
So what actually you can do now is as a painter, you're free to paint subjectively because you can't beat the camera on the objective front. So now you got to find another vector to win on. So you learn about the start now. You learn about his technique. You learn that he did a St. Remy while he was in a mental institution. And then you learn that, you know, he died shortly afterwards and only sold one painting in his life. Very few people will actually go, oh, here's this other part of the Van Gogh. So like, you know what I mean? It's like, find something that has awareness in the world that already has an established meme. Everybody knows the story. It's the third most visited painting in the world. But then find this kind of technology angle that I stumbled upon it. I stumbled upon it in a art history subreddit. And I'm like, this is incredible. Right. So like that's, you know, you see what I mean? It's like, there's, there's layers. Yeah. It's like layer one has already passed the minimum viable virality. And then layer two, what can you layer on top of it? Well, first of all, I think there's some lessons with that story and what's going to happen with AI, but that's a question that we're going to come up in a minute. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, you said something in there that I want to like make sure everybody watching gets, which is you read a lot of comments. Yeah. Most people I know read a lot of content. They don't read a lot of comments. Like, talk to me about why. Like, what's magic about comments? Do you know Cunningham's law where like the best way to get a response to the internet is to say something wrong? Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So- we should just do as an experiment. I should tweet something incorrect and just watch how many people flood the comments. Mm-hmm. It's because mm-hmm. no one loves anything more than yeah. correcting people. Like nothing is more satisfying to somebody, yeah, yeah, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. think boys, than to totally. correct somebody. Totally. So that's why when you go in the comments, you're getting these PhDs that no one listens to, but they get to come in and be like, actually, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Here's five different ways to look at it. That's why you go to the comments. Now, Comments can, depending on the type of content, be absolute flame war cesspools. I don't do politics at yeah, all. Right. I don't touch it with a thousand foot pole, right? But you go to comments for Stack Overflow. The entire thing is built on comments, right? Reddit comments are extremely good because they have the voting feature. YouTube has really cleaned up their comments, but they're more funny than they are insightful. Yeah. And Cora, uh, actually, the Cora answers themselves are actually pretty good. Not for everything, but I, I stick to those. I think the Reddit comments is where the real... Because the other thing you have to remember about Reddit is... You get points for your comments. So like from a, from an ego side, from a, hey, I'm playing this game. Think of Reddit as a game. Think of any social thing as a game, right? In Twitter, the game is gain followers, get likes, get engagement. Not to say it's positive, but that's the video game. It's a video game. That's number go up, right? In Reddit, number go up is karma. And your replies get points. And I think that's extremely important because now you're incentivized to give sick replies. So I think... To your points, like, why do I read the comments? Specifically Reddit, that's the reason. Like, part of your content is, like, you found this arbitrage where there are very smart, kind of deeply knowledgeable people who want to play the, a game, like, on Reddit, for example. Yep. They want the personal satisfaction of being right. But they're, like, you know, some professor, as you said, and they're not, like, they don't give a shit about anything else, right? They're not trying to go make some amazing piece of content about their knowledge. They're just like, I want to prove this Yahoo on, yep. on this per, this thread, right? And you're like, wait, this is actually amazing. Gold. I can go take this to millions of people. And, like, the arbitrage of that is, like, super fascinating. Yeah, 100%. The other thing I think a lot about is, in content in general, something Kip and I have talked about, it comes actually from comedy, is, like, great content creators have bits. You know those bits that if you in love with in comedy, they kind of like are subtly across each episode. So you feel like you're part of the in crowd. Like, oh, I get that. Like, that's one of the bits that I get. And I feel like in your writing, you have bits. Like, you don't have like one style, right? You have the deep dive threads that are on a topic. I think the thing that you're able to do is like take something popular and have a differentiated angle that no one had thought of before and associate it to something to do with business. That's a bit. You have like comedy bits. Like one of the ones I always love that you do is you know when you do like the picture of the Rolex watch and you're like the two <laughs> things that you do invest in, and in the end it's like, I managed to get this picture of a Rolex watch. Like you, the setup's perfect, right? It's yeah. like you're going to do one of those kind of 
really cringy. I made it. I've got a Rolex watch. But then the punchline is like really, really funny. And you've got like a couple of those bits you continually do, right? You can recognize them. You can see them everywhere now because people copy you. Again, is that formulaic? Do you just arrive on like this thing works? I'll repeat it infrequently. Like, how do you think about that? I love that question because I actually haven't thought about it super deeply. But as you're talking, I mean, it's the persona. It's an inside joke. It's like, I, so I used to be a huge Jim Rome fan. He's a sports radio guy. Yeah, he's dope. He was massive. He's like Howard Stern level. He was huge. Yeah, but uh, he never transitioned to podcasts. So in the 90s, he was the guy. He was a Bill Simmons of the 90s. However, running joke after running joke after running joke. And that's the thing with the audience, right? You just keep this running joke. I mean, now that you mentioned, I mean, this is my running joke is I don't take anything about business seriously. Like I'm the anti-LinkedIn guy, right? I just make fun and, and flip on the head every other SaaS founder. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'll put a graph going downwards and I'll be like, hey guys, like, is this a good graph? A first time SaaS founder? Like, right? And then I'm like, I'm like guys, I, I've never done this. Is this how it works? And then I'm like, hey guys, having problems like calculating MRR? Like, what, what, how do you calculate something at zero dollars? Right? Like, like, just this one running joke after another. But like, the engagement's insane, right? Yeah. I, I freaking, I put one up the other day. And I sent 2,000 clicks. It was a joke. I said, I just raised the pre-seed round at $100 million valuation. And then like asterisk, I issued 100 million shares and sold one to my mom for a dollar. And like, <laughs> so I sent 2,000 clicks from that. And I'm getting dozens of paying users. Like, but it's like, it's dumb. It's so dumb. But to your point here, it's a running joke. Running joke. So actually the beauty about that running joke is, think about it. You guys work. You're CMO. You know how hard is it to get engagement if it's just like this bland corporate speak, right? Oh, it's the worst. But like, so this is like, the beauty of this is they're just, it'll never not get engagement because you're just literally making fun of the entire process. And it's like, it's so melded into this running joke. That that was actually quite intentional. I'm like, the reason why I even did this thing was I'm like, okay, first of all, I've advertised in my newsletter and podcast on Twitter for other products. But I'm like, I don't really use them. Not to say that I thought they were like scammy or anything. It's like, I wasn't a power user. I'm like, I'm a power user of this product that I'm shilling because it's my product and it just fits perfectly with this anti-LinkedIn personality. Right. I think it's a good question even for listeners to think through. It's something we've talked about before is should comedic writers exist within company content teams because most business is really boring? Yeah, it's like, can brands be interesting? Right. Or are brands inherently going to be boring is kind of right. the question. Like if you're giving advice to a big established company to be good and interesting on the internet, what would you have them do? We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice, nudges fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest-growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight in one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love this show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because... I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I think that's a great question. I think this is at the tension of, of like what Mr. Beast is doing, right? Yeah. And I love your guys' opinion on this. So there's this like very viral chart of like all the P&G's entire product line. And, 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 and somebody's like, each one of these products 
will be a billion dollar spinoff by a single creator that will own that category. So I think that's interesting. I think obviously scaling those type of businesses, like the contra to that is that people underestimate how much distributional power PNG has and like yes. all the things built behind it, right? It's so easy as an individual creator to be biased, to be like, yeah, you know, so I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I totally agree with this, right? I want to be as big as Salesforce and HubSpot as an individual. But I mean, like, I wouldn't be shocked in the future if like, if Mr. Beast now, especially with the power of generative AI, were to release some type of software product, I mean, he could turn that into a unicorn pretty quickly, to be honest. Right. Just based oh. on his distribution, right? And I mean, he's already doing it with much lower margin and physical world products like chocolate bars and hamburgers. To your question though, but I think, and I'm sure you know that you guys talk about this ad nauseum all the time. And HubSpot obviously is quite forward-looking with acquiring the hustle. I mean, you guys clearly with the hustle acquisition, you knew the content and commerce was coming. So I think each company does need to figure it out, but there is this tension, especially with industry to industry. And this is not going to be surprising to you. It's like, how much can you get away with the stuff that I'm doing yeah, right yeah. now, right? It's like, exactly. well, I'm, I'm curious to, to, to know. It's like, or, or are you making a bet that, you know, this $70 trillion wealth transfer to millennials to the next generation, they're all going to be very online. They're all going to be in on the joke. Yes. They're all, depending on how this current, like, receding of wokeness goes. Like, there's, a, you know, it goes and flows. <laughs> but, like, it does. I think people will be much more online and willing to accept in good taste. But you can probably make fun of more stuff than you'd imagine. But for me, I don't make fun of individuals. I'll punch up to, like, I know this sounds kind of shit, but if you're, listen, if you're in the Forbes, like, top 100 billionaires, like, you're fair game. Like, it's just, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a very public figure. Right, because yes. you kind of chosen that. It's yeah, like yeah. you know when when the Kardashians get mad that people write like things about them. It's like you literally chose this life. It's the lifestyle like, they chose. Yeah, you chose that. I'm not saying it's okay for the nastiness companies. Like you know that's the trade off, right? But I, I often like a lot of my stuff is making fun of like processes, organizations, like inanimate objects and, and trends, which again inanimate. So to answer your question, Kip, and give some more quote unquote actual insights, is like <laughs> you can be that personality and. Maybe build it around an individual. The risk, of course, being the person mm -hmm. will just leave and you're giving them all this brand equity. But if not, and you're going with the standard, you know, corporate Twitter account, it's like, just don't go after people. Go after trends, go after other products and go after inanimate objects. I mean, like, that's how I'd frame it. Yeah, well, I think there's one more. You could make fun of yourself. Yes. Right? Like as a company, there is no, like, there is no external risk for making fun of yourself. It is just your own like ego, your employees, 100%, like that kind of stuff. Right? One of the things I would say everybody watching is like, man, if you make fun of yourself, you build trust, credibility through that vulnerability and like being in on the joke. And like part of, you know, great comedy is being in on the joke. The point you just made in the story around like barely.ai and like, hey, I made this whole joke and got like, lots of paying customers, it turns out the distribution is undefeated. Like if you have distribution, you can always make money. And most of these companies are too obsessed with like, oh, I want to make my conversion rate a little bit bigger. Or I only want to talk to these thousand people. I don't want to talk to anybody else. And it's like, that is such a short-sighted view of the world. I think that's why when you talk about creators and brand and that tension. I think in the future, B2C is completely disrupted by creators. We've seen it. Like you see it across so many different verticals now where creators just have, they have distribution. All of these channels are much more favorable towards individuals versus brands. B2B is a little more complex because there's a little bit more tension between do you just have the best product or not? And there is like some amount of like brand affinity, like, oh, well, I really do trust you as a product. So I'll buy your expensive product. It might not be the best. But in B2C, like, the persona and the distribution are going to be much more favorable for creators than they are brands. Granted, they're massive 
you know, the key man risk is enormous, right? Look what Kanye and Adidas, right? Like right. They, they're yeah. taking a $800 million hit from uh, Kanye, obviously the anti-Semitic tirades he went on end of last year. Having said that, with the key man risk known, everybody knows there's key man risk if you're building around an individual, right? The bull case is to have somebody super uh, commercial like Michael Jordan. I mean, Jordan's, everything Jordan's done is insane. Crazy. And, and, and thinking from the beginning, his understanding of it was, I mean, even LeBron, right? LeBron about, I think two, maybe five years in his career, he stopped doing advertisements for brands like Gatorade and McDonald's. He's like, no, I'd rather go to Blaze Pizza and own equity in the business. And, you know, instead of, doing some ESPN. No, I'm going to start my own entire media yeah. network, Spring Hill. So and now that's almost worth a billion dollars, right? Yes. So the key man risk is very real. There's no question about it. You guys know this. But you, but you can reduce that risk with ownership, right? Like this is the point you're making. The point you're making yeah. is if, if the key person in that for your business has a real upside in that business, then your incentives are aligned and they're going to keep working and keep doing it. And, and the risk is really... Should mitigated. be diminished. Yeah. yeah, it should be diminished at least. Should be diminished. Yeah, I, one thing I did want to address regarding the B2B stuff, which Kieran mentioned was, yeah, you guys will know way better than me. I, I don't fully know what that looks like. I think you're seeing with super active CEOs on Twitter, I'm not talking obviously about Elon, who's the most, I'm yeah. talking about even just within the tech community. Replit is a great example, right? Yeah. 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 He's killing like, it. He's yeah. unbelievable. Putting a face on it does really matter. And, and I think he's an Iranian immigrant too. So that adds another layer to the messaging that's being sent. But I have nothing definitive to say. I, I'm biased. I think creator-led is huge. I think it's the future. I don't know how much it will actually affect B2B. Because listen, there's only so much you can do against a Microsoft, right? <laughs> like, that's just the reality. <laughs> and there's only so much you can do against Google. But yeah, the, I agree with the Kieran 100%. The B2C that's, I think it will get wiped and it will be creator led. All right, Kieran, we got five minutes left with Trung. I know you want to talk about AI. I want to give you the floor to, to kick off a little AI chat. Yeah, I think the best thing, so I, we can do Twitter is dying or AI. What's your spicier take, Trung? Well, I'll give my Twitter answer quickly. It's like, I'll be honest, I think it's all overblown. I think uh, basically think about the criticism that Elon was receiving and not to say that everything he's done has been good. Like I'm just saying, look at the criticism specifically. And again, the way he interacts with his critics adds to the flame, right? But when he did that firing and the way it went down, look at what happened afterwards with the rest of Silicon Valley. They kind of use it as cover. We're talking about 150,000 people laid off. Some also done in quite poor taste. Google had to like call up a bunch of their employees. Like, oh yeah, by the way, your ESOPs are worth a lot less than we thought. It's like not great, right? And I think what with Twitter specifically, I have no concern that it's going to flame out and die. Like, I think its risk is really germane to every other social network risk. Is like social networks seems to be in the 15 years they've existed or 20 years they've existed, there does seem to be a shelf life on them. And you do need to renew it. Like Reddit, many people thought was going to die a few years ago. Yep. But they really cleaned up the moderation. Come back. They really cleaned up their commenting and replies like we talked about. Really kind of changed the energy of that network. So yeah, I mean, you have to do work. This is why Zuck makes these acquisitions. Why Zuck keeps on making big changes. Even his bet on VR, I think it's not going to work, but I understand why he's doing it, right? I think the question about Twitter is not so much Twitter under Elon. It's more like Twitter as a social network. You know, can it revitalize? Can it, what is the next chapter, Right. And I think that's a more important question than because a lot of it's so like loaded, like people's feelings, like people like I'll never use Twitter blue. There aren't a ton of great features in it, but I'll tell you one thing I, I would pay $8 for, regardless of verification about anything, the top articles feature, which used to be nuzzle, is incredible. 
Mm-hmm. Talk about my content flow. I'll wake up. I'll just look at top articles. I know what my entire network's talking about. The 10 articles. Right. That gives me fuel to make memes and like write about. Literally. So that's worth $8 a month to me. Yeah. And people never talk about that. I'm going to subscribe just to get the save Twitter features. The ability to save tweets. Oh yeah, save. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I just have to say that the least surprising part of the day show is Trung the Twitter maximalist saying Twitter's doing better <laughs> and not dying. I didn't say Twitter's doing better. I'm, <laughs> like, saying, I mean, I'm saying Twitter dying that was, that was obvious. Is, I mean, listen, that's the most clickbaity headline ever. Yeah. Not so much not Elon's was like the life of a social network yeah. is always to revitalize whether or not it was Elon Twitter was dealing with the same problems right it's like they've been around for 15 years and over a billion people have tried it and 700 million of them just said this isn't for me right that's like <laughs> totally. literally right everybody knows what Twitter is all right one last question on AI Kieran you got this yeah you're a writer AI founder have a writing tool how should people think about the disruption that come for writers? Like, how do you think about it? Have you internalized it? Like, I'm always going to be cool. I have my bits. I have my research. I have, I, I have my thing. Nothing's going to replace me. Or how, how would you tell our listeners they're going to be disrupted if they are like writers or have content teams? I love it. Again, because I know you guys are CMOs and need actionable insights. I'll frame <laughs> two things that I believe. And I don't want to come off to uh, LinkedIn here, but I'm about, to, I'm about to go LinkedIn. I'm about to go <laughs> oh, full LinkedIn, please. Full LinkedIn. I'm doing the anti-anti-LinkedIn, which is a double negative for those keeping scores. So I'm going <laughs> LinkedIn here. Here's the LinkedIn score. So I think all these LLMs and the text image, they're going to converge eventually. Because at the end of the day, it's like model size and smartest people. Google still has some of the smartest people in the world. Facebook still has some of the smartest people in the world. The stability AI is doing incredible work, right? With the stability of Fusion and they've got an LLM coming out. I think a lot of these, the models themselves, very much, I agree with the kind of consensus, the kind of the cloud layers, like, you know, you're just going to plug in. They're going to make a shit ton of money, but that model will be kind of commoditized. So like in a business school world, when one part's commoditized, you got to find other areas of advantage and it's distribution and brand. Mm. So I say that and then to answer Kieran's question specifically, I'm less scared about the AI replacing me because I'm more and more leaning into my brand. Like my brand is dumb humor. Like, and I'm a Vietnamese Canadian and, <laughs> and I fail to be a screenwriter, right? I'm like, I'm not a very operationally minded founder. It's like, these are all things about me and I'm just going to make fun of them. I'm going to add my, like the whole way we started this conversation. Like when I said that I pronounced my name wrong for 23 years, that's not AI. That's Trump. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. It's like, so yeah. like the number one thing is where on the stack can you differentiate in the world of AI? It's distribution and brand, which kind of sucks in a way because people that had the chance to build that brand and distribution have, well, as in any case, they'll always have the built-in advantage, right? It's like if Mr. Beast is going to release a product against an up-and-coming influencer, they're going to get smoked at whether or not there was AI. So if you have distribution and brand advantage, you know, lean into it. And really, you have to integrate AI now because those advantages are in an all-things-equal world. Mm. If your competitor is using AI and way faster, creating way better content and you're st- standing pat, you're smoked. Like you're out of the game. Having said that, and the reason why I built barely AI is I do think it's an augmentation. People are going to lose jobs. There's no question in my mind. The, the example I brought with the kind of Starry Night is like, you know, the humanness of it. So Neil deGrasse Tyson says something about Starry Night, which I, I really kind of latched onto. He said, the beauty and why I love Starry Night is it's not what he saw, it's what he felt. And I think that second line is like what he felt, the human aspect 
and this is corny, but you know, we talked about this earlier, Kip. We talked about it before we started. It's like, this might be it, right? I'm right with you on this. Preach. This human thing, like this, the three of us, four of us shooting the shit, like having a good laugh. Like, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. Like, you know, but truly. <laughs> no, my, truly, my, my right? line on this trunk is AI is for the rational part of processes and humans are for the emotional part. Yeah. That's where we're going to. And I, I think that's exactly what you're, the point you're kind of making here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope that's a good ender. That was some AI fire to end the show. Go check out Trung on Twitter. Go check out Barely.ai. And we will be back with you very soon on Marketing Against the Grain. Thanks, everyone.